going on. So, all right. Uh, as we turn to Psalm 35, Psalm 35. We have a sense as Christians that we should not uh, not take revenge. Right? Somebody eggs your house. Somebody teepees your trees. You know, we shouldn't go do the same thing to them assuming that we know who it is, you know? But is there ever a place for Christians to rightly desire the punishment of the wicked? So, and, and what does that look like? And we have to deal with that because there's a lot of that in Psalm 35. So I want to highlight um, a couple of phrases for you. Verse 1, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. And then, verse 17, Lord, how long will you look on? Verse 22. You have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. And then verse 28. My tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. I think those phrases are kind of checkpoints in this psalm that lay out for us what it is that David was communicating to God and the lessons that I think that we ought to learn from it. First of all, the cry to God for help, and then this plea for God, how long will you stand by before you do something? And a plea with God again, verse 22, you've seen it, don't keep silent. And then a response of praise at the end of the chapter. Some have seen this word contend in verse 1 as a... Uh, sort of having legal connotations. In other words, this is God, plead my case. And there is some uh, basis perhaps for looking at it in that way in the sense that David is laying out the reasons that he's asking God for his help later in the psalm. I mean, I don't think that we should see it as a formal courtroom setting. That's not the intent. But there is definitely this element of God is the one who's righteous, He's watching what's going on. I'm laying out the reasons why I think God should get involved. I'm pleading with him to actually help me. And then I have a response of praise at the end. That's, that's David's uh, progression of thought, it seems. Notice his phrasing in the first few verses. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. In mythology, you have this idea of the great uh, hero god who puts on armor and fights for his people. And because sometimes that strikes us as a pagan idea, we, we tend to get a little skittish of that sort of imagery. But David here describes God in that way. God is a mighty warrior, right? And he starts out and he says, go on the attack. And then he says, defend. And then he says, go on the attack. So fight against those who fight against me. Go and fight against them. And then verse 2, buckler and shield. A buckler would have been a smaller shield. A shield would have probably been a slightly larger uh, thing of defending yourself. 
And then not only is he sort of standing there, here's David, here's God standing there with his shield. He says, God also draw forth your spear and your axe and pursue them. And we see that same pursuing uh, coming up in verses 5 and 6. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving on. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. So there's this idea of God pursuing David's enemies, ultimately because they're God's own enemies, not merely just because David had a falling out with them, right? We have all of this language of what we might say imprecation in verses 4 through 8. Let this be. He's almost speaking the words of a curse against them. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Where he looked at verses 5 and 6. And then he says, For the reason, for without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unawares. Let the net which he hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. And we look at this and we say, is this a, a desire for vengeance on David's part? And I think we have to ask ourselves, what would distinguish between a desire for vengeance and a desire for justice? A desire for vengeance would be based on Potentially, we're both sinning, but I'm going to attack him. Or, um, I'm even worse than he is, but he's my enemy, so I'm going to attack him. But that's not what David is talking about. David is describing this as someone who went after him without cause. And the means of destruction that he is calling for is for his own schemes to return upon himself. And so, um, and we saw this imagery in one of the earlier psalms we looked at probably a month or two back. This idea of um, you dig a pit and then you fall into it. You roll a stone and it rolls back on top of you. What does God say generally in his word? He says you reap what you sow. The transgressor has a hard life, and God is angry with the wicked and the proud at all times. So it is not out of God's character the thing that David is asking God to do. He's essentially saying, God, defend your people, punish the ungodly. What would David's response then be? Verses 9 and following. My soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you, who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. So we have this brief glimpse of, and I will praise you when you deliver me. And then he goes back to just this description of, of his um, agony. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered, themselves, gathered together against me, they slandered me without ceasing, like godless jesters at a feast. They gnashed at me with their teeth. So verses 11 through 16 describe this contrast. 
They had no reason to come after me, tying back in to verse 7. They bear false witness against me, do evil for my good, rejoice when I am weak, and mock me. In contrast, David says, when they were in difficulty, I prayed for them. When they had needs, I went and met those needs. I don't know that this is the, the particular thing that he has in mind, but certainly what David is saying applies in many respects to Saul, right? There was a time where Saul was like a father to David, and David would have done anything for him. And then there came a time when, for no discernible reason, Saul decided he wanted to kill David. And he pursued him relentlessly, and he rejoiced when he was in difficulty. So when we come to a section like this, I think it would be good to pause and ask ourselves this question. How do I respond when someone unjustly attacks me? And for those sorts of people, do I pray for them? Do I seek their good? Because it's, it's easy enough to say, the person who champions abortion as a solution to poor choices in life, the person who thinks that oppressing people is a good way to live, the person that thinks that um, Christians should be silenced and have no voice in society, you know, I won't say anything bad about them, but I don't want good to come to them. It's easy for that to become our attitude. And I think we see a progression here in that David is talking about speaking to God about the situation. He looks forward for a moment and says, there'll be a moment when I praise God. And then he looks back on his conduct leading up to that point. I think there does come a point where you say, I have prayed for this person, and unless God does some drastic work, there is no appearance of change. And so God, it seems that the thing that needs to happen is for your justice to be worked out. But we sometimes want to jump to that point. God cast them down. God crushed them for their sin without having been at the earlier point that David's talking about here, I prayed for them, I ministered to them, I tried everything I could to be godly and righteous in my relationship with those people. I think there's a lesson there for us as Christians. There are people who are completely wrong on certain key issues. There are people who hate God. But it's really easy for us to jump to, and God, why don't you punish them, and sort of jump over the opportunity to show them the love of God in Christ that we ourselves have received. Uh, just some of the imagery here in verses 11 to 16. Sackcloth, fasting, these were things associated with times of mourning. Uh, this picture of mourning for their loss as though it were your own, I think is a powerful one in verse 14. Um, verse 16, there's a lot of disagreement about how it should be translated. Does it have something to do with food? Does it have something to do with 
mocking, I think probably the best understanding from the options that I'm aware of is that someone who is, it's, it's, it's the way that words are repeated sometimes in the Bible, it's someone who is a mocking mocker comes and mocks against me. I mean, that's sort of the picture. It's just repeating it for emphasis. This is how they treat him. Gnashing with teeth is sometimes a sign of anger, sometimes a sign of mockery. We see it associated with the fool in Proverbs. So David starts out, I cry to God, be a mighty warrior on my behalf. Here's what I'm asking you to do against them. I look forward to the moment when you will deliver me, and I look back to their um, mistreatment without cause and my above and beyond attempts to be righteous around and toward them. And then there's this question, which I think is the question that if it doesn't pop up in our minds, it should. When there is sin that is not dealt with, where there is brokenness in the world in which we live, Lord, how long will you look on? Because if we believe that God's in charge, there's an element of us needing to plead with the one who can actually do something about the situation, and there should be an awareness that, without in any way denying our responsibility to live rightly before God, we need God to step in and do something. So what does David ask God to do? He returns to his request like in verses 1 through 3, rescue my soul from the ravages, my only life from the lions. I think that that's a pretty powerful imagery too. If you were being chased by a pack of lions, or if you've ever gone through an experience in life where it felt as though that's what was going on, you need God's help. And that's what David is crying out for. His response, again, anticipating that God will hear and answer his prayer. Verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. I think that echoes what he says in verses 9 and 10. Verse 19, do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me. We see again this idea, verse 7, without cause. Verse 12, they repay evil for good. Now verse 19, they are wrongfully my enemies. Don't let them rejoice over me nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. It's fascinating to consider how pride manifests itself through our eyes and in our expressions. And I think that that's what David's highlighting in that verse. Again, why should God contend against them? They do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They opened their mouth wide against me. They said, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. So in contrast to those who are going about minding their own business, here are people who are meddling without cause. In contrast to those who are trying to speak truth, this verse 21 seems to be the sort of false accusation that comes up in verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. Verse 21, they open their mouth wide against me, which also ties back to the mouth imagery of the lions tearing and the, those coming against and, and devouring. And then he says in verse 22, verse 17 is more of the question, God, how long are you going to watch? And then verse 22, you have seen it, Lord. Do not keep silent. Do not be far from me. 
And then going back to the same idea of verses 1 through 3. Stir up yourself and awake to my right and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Then he closes with this word of praise. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. And let them say continually the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. So what themes do we see? We see this theme of God, contend for me, fight for me. You've seen it, do something. We see this theme of David bringing an accusation and a curse and God's wrath against those who have, without repentance, perpetrated evil against him. Uh, verses 4 through 8, uh, verses 11 through 16, and then uh, verses 19 to 21 and verse 25. Was it right for David to do this? I think we'd have to say yes. Was it only right for him to do it as the king of Israel? Though he was the king of Israel, and though their opposition was, I think, against him in that office, and therefore in opposition to God's will, if God had appointed him as the king, there is a sense in which I think it is also right for us to call for God to intervene in situations where injustice is taking place. If you have... Neighbors who don't know God. Show Christ to them. If they persist indefinitely in stubborn rebellion, if they persecute you without cause, there is probably an appropriate place for you to say, Lord, don't let them win. Prove your faithfulness to me. Deliver me from this. The more that I read the Bible, the more that I am struck by the intertwining of God's deliverance of His people and God's judgment of the wicked. Paul puts it this way, that the truth of Christ, the gospel message, is the savor of death to those who do not believe and the savor of life for those who do believe. The same thing is at the same time a rebuke and a sign of God's judgment and a, an encouragement and a sign of God's deliverance. Just as when Christ returns, He will come with mighty armies and flaming fire. And on that day, those who have opposed Him will realize their destruction is at hand and those who have followed Him will see their deliverance is also at hand which is why Paul said to the Thessalonians, rest for Jesus is coming back. So, in our lives, we have that quandary, that thing that we have to struggle with thinking through. The gospel message, the appearing of Christ, the presence of God, are both in the same time deliverance and destruction, hope 
and condemnation, help and opposition. And it comes down to what is our relationship with God. And so there is a right sense for us to plead with God that there, those who are our enemies would trust in Him. And there is a right sense in which we also pray, if they do not repent, then Lord, glorify Yourself by accomplishing justice. Not vindictively, because that's far too often where we come. Not without having first, as David does here, pouring out our lives in willing service for those who may spit on our face and hate everything that we are and mock our faith, you have a responsibility to show God to those sorts of people. But you also have a God who cares for you as His people. And when you are overwhelmed and oppressed by the wicked, it is right, even necessary, for you to call out to God for his deliverance. And so I think this psalm does teach us that we should rejoice when God answers and destroys wicked enemies because it means that he is faithful to all of his promises. To his promises to save his people, to his promises to punish evil, to his promises to bring glory to himself. Let's go now for our time of